Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we watch? Well, Kevin, we just watched Tell No Tales, a 1939 newspaper mystery film. <laughs> <laughs> While you're laughing. Starring, well, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll give you the lowdown. Starring Melvin Douglas. Melvin Douglas, of course, uh, best known, perhaps, for being the husband of Helen Gahagan Douglas. And also Melvin Douglas, of course, starred in Ninochka, a much better film. A much better film than this. Uh, and I think Louise 
Platt as the leading lady here. Where do we know her from? Um, <laughs> Sorry. TCM. Do you know? No. Um, I, I didn't recognize her, but just trying to round it out with some more facts. <laughs> okay, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling me on the carpet about it. <laughs> I believe the movie also starred Zephy Tilbury. Where do we know her from? Well, no, no, we're get, we'll get to her. Let, let's not. Why don't you just buckle the fuck up? <laughs> and then we'll get into this. Okay. So, Tale No Tale No Tells Tale No Tales is a uh, it it centers around the story centers around this uh, local beloved newspaper. Uh, the so right there, you know it's fiction. The Evening Guardian. <laughs> And it, Do you know of any newspaper in the country that is beloved by its town? Why, I, I used to work for, my college newspaper was beloved uh, far and wide within the Williamsburg, Virginia community. I was, a, as editor-in-chief back in uh, 2015, I was a, I was a beloved local figure. So this movie, people, this people definitely didn't drag my name <laughs> Through the mud over that or anything on social media platforms. <laughs> yeah, I seem to recall some controversial uh, actions. Yeah, during your uh, no. tenure, people didn't burn me in effigy. That? No, no, no. We don't need to. We don't need to talk about that. It was. It was. Everyone loved me. But anyway, um, you look up news, New York Observer. Oh, shut the fuck! You are such a little snitch. <laughs> Anya Kane, New York Observer. Ooh. It's quite a tale. Now, why don't you look up Kevin Greenlee, Harlan Ellison? <laughs> See, two. Tell no tales. <laughs> Tell no tales. <laughs> two can play this game, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Two minutes into Tell No Tales and we're spilling each other's secrets all over oh, the internet. Right. It's terrible. This movie is tearing us yeah, apart. It really is. Um, well, I, I like you know the Evening Guardian's like a working class paper. Uh, they're always they're always uh, holding the powerful accountable. Their motto is very very snappy, very uh, very very memorable. That the public interest may be served. I mean, it's no democracy dies in darkness, but you know that they're they're looking out for the the, the common Joes, the average Joes. That's what they're looking out for. And um, it starts off with some questionable journalism decisions by our main character, uh, editor uh, Mike Cassidy, who's played by Melvin Douglas, where some guy comes in and is like, I know I did a lot of crimes in my past, but please don't tell anyone because I'm currently the commissioner and I want to do good. I guess he's like a Jean Valjean character. And, you know, and for some reason, the editor kills the story they're going to run exposing his past. So I don't, I don't really know how the public so interest you, is served there. So, yeah, so you <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, former editorix Kane, is that a decision you would have made? Editorix is like that's some weird sexist version of editor. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> editorix, Jesus! I was an editor. <laughs> I noticed you're ducking the question. So, if if you get a, a scoop that uh, a local commissioner did something bad 20 years ago, and he comes to you and says, "Hey, you know, 20 years ago, that was a long time ago." Cut me a break. Yeah, I won't. I mean. So you, you tear <laughs> apart the life of a person who's turned his life around and become a dedicated well, public it, well, service just for the sake of a scoop. It depends. Is that all you reporters Listen, care about? Listen, if it was like a, I mean, if it was, 
it would depend on what it did. I mean, did like I, I think it would. Oh, a lot. I wouldn't. I, I don't think at the point where like the story is about to print, and you know you're on the phone with the layout desk to put it together and print it, and some guy comes in and is like, "Don't do it," and you don't do it. That seems kind of like you're just bending to the will of the powerful in the community, which is what we've been told that these people don't do. So if it was like something stupid where like, I don't know, it would just depend if like, we're asked to believe implicitly that whatever he did in the past, if it came out, it would end his career. Yeah. So like, what did he, like, what was he like a, was he like a sexual predator? Did he accidentally kill someone in a car accident? Like we don't, it really, or like, did he steal money? Did he steal like money in a robbery? Did he steal money from like the job he was working? It, it there's way too much out there to to know. I mean, like but I'm just saying, like so hypothetically, you learn something shocking about a public servant that would end his career, but you sincerely believe that since he did this 20 years ago, he's turned his life around. Would you run the story? Here's the thing: before this guy showed up, before this guy who who they were going to run the story on showed up, they were going to run the story. They were prepared to. And him showing up and saying, please don't do this, change their minds. It, it does, like, why do it this, all of this in the first place? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, they thought there was a newsworthiness to whatever happened that they were going to run with. So, this guy showing up and saying, actually, wait, 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 I have a big argument. Don't do this. You know, it kind of makes me question this newspaper and, and its commitment to serving the public. If, if you know, why do it in the first place if you can be so easily persuaded not to run the thing? It's not like he came in and saying, listen, I know it looks bad, but you have to understand. My wife was dying of cancer. I robbed that bank. I regret it. You know, but like I needed to take care of her. It, it's just basically he's like, stop. <laughs> and they're like, all right. So translation, yes, you'd run the story and wreck the man's life. Yeah, because I mean, like in this situation, <laughs> what, what about you? Oh, oh, Mr. Gentle Lawyer. Blech. Well, I, I note that this is used as a, an example in the story to show that this man has honor and integrity. I guess the movie no, about you, the movie about you in the flat hat. Fuck you. We've learned something else about Here's how the that thing. paper was Here's around. The thing. Like, if you know, doesn't that just make him seem cozy with local elected officials? Where he's like, and also the guy says, "Don't worry, I'll resign in a year." So he's basically blackmailing this guy into resigning in a year. It, it just puts it in a weird place for me. This reminds me about a certain interview I read in the New York Observer. Oh, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> but let's move on. <laughs> You'll be strung up from the masthead. <laughs> little journalism newspaper joke there for y'all. <laughs> Oh, Kevin, you, you. Uh, and you neglected to mention the fact this is the 75th anniversary of this paper. And we get a what I found very charming but bizarre scene to illustrate how much of a family this newspaper truly is. There, and then this is where we get to uh, good old Zephy Tilbury. Uh, this was an, actually an actress who was on the stage in the 1880s. This movie was in 39, so you know she's an elderly woman at this point. And turns out she's also turning 75 the same day as the Evening Guardian. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. So she was born the very same day the first edition of the paper came out. Yeah, and <laughs> very odd. But she went to that work. That is very odd. She went to work there. She's the embodiment of the paper. She's the, the spirit of the old gal. 
And she was also uh, Michael's boss when he was a copy boy. Michael's the editor. M- Michael's the editor. So he, you know, takes her down to the like the, the basement for a big surprise party. Everyone sings. She's a jolly good fellow. She cries. It's very sweet. I love it. <laughs> I'm already and then, in. <laughs> and then he, our editor, in the midst of this gay celebration. Don't receives- say gay celebration. <laughs> say something else. In the midst of this... Uh, Jolly celebration? In the midst of this very happy celebration. This gay celebration, if you will. They uh, get a telegram with some shocking news. <laughs> the news is that the guy from earlier, Chalmers, is actually Miss Mary's son. <laughs> the corruption goes deep! That would have been a better picture. No, the news is that uh, the Guardian is now kicked the bucket. It is about to run its final edition because it has been purchased by a competitor, the owner of the record, which is a salacious rag. And they're going to close it because they don't want any competition. And that's the end of the movie. (laughs) It was weird. It was like five minutes. It was like a little short about how uh, the changing media landscape. So what's your five-star final take on this picture? Yeah, no, I'm just joking. But yeah, so. How does Michael, Michael basically responds to this news by, he says, what I'll do is I'll go out to a bar. I'll get drunk. First, he yells at his new boss. First, he yells at the boss who's going to close them down. He goes and says, the record fucking sucks. You guys just print all this salacious gossip. Look at this shit. Your your front headline is all criticizing this teacher who witnessed a famous abduction of a student who was later murdered. This is important later. Yes. Hint, hint. And, uh, you know, you're just driving this girl crazy because you just want to sell papers and you have no responsibility to the community. And the, the you know, the, the publisher is like, you know what, whatever, we'll give you a job at the record. You know, we don't care that your staff's getting laid off. And, uh, you know, he says, fuck you. And he doesn't literally say that, but he basically says, fuck you and walks out and goes to drink at the bar. So he gets a lot of drinks at the bar and he decides he's going to spend the evening just wandering around aimlessly in a montage. I, I, before, I thought that we were going to see our old friends Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce just wordlessly join him on this walk because it looked like shot for shot like that, where you're like, you see his feet, then it zooms up to his face, and you see the city in the background. And I'm like, where, where's Basil and Nigel? They, they're like in the background being like, that guy's stealing our shtick. <laughs> before he goes on this stroll for a reason I didn't understand, perhaps you can explain it to me. He writes out a check for a large amount of money, which he gives to the bartender, and then the bartender gives him a huge wad of bills. Why does he do this? Uh, drug money. No, I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe, was that the old-timey equivalent of, like, you know, when you go to Target and you, you get cash back for, like, $40? Or, or was it because... Was it because he was buying drinks on the house for his staff? So he said, here's my down payment. You know, you can give me the change for whatever they don't drink. But no, he writes a check for an amount far in excess of $100. And then the bartender immediately gives him cash for the amount. So he's not like putting down a deposit. He's writing, basically like going into a store saying, here's a check for $1,000. You give me $1,000 and then you walk out and you walk around all night aimlessly. I just really want to get mugged. <laughs> so I didn't understand that. I 
I don't need He's not baby. going anywhere where he needs cash. He's just wandering around aimlessly as montage music plays. I, I don't know, baby. It It's sort of... <laughs> one of those things about this movie that we'll never understand there's a lot of moments like that throughout this picture (laughs) um then he comes back and the bartender comforts him and makes the very reasonable comparison of losing the guardian the paper to um losing a child so (laughs) the bartender says i know what you what you're going through because my son died (laughs) it's like i i don't know about that (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) But anyway, then then the plot kicks in. So then he says, okay, my, my staff has been drinking. I will pay you for what they drank with the bill, one of the bills you just gave me hours earlier. And the bill he's going to pay for it with is a $100 bill. And at this point, the bartender notices that that is one of the ransom bills used in this kidnapping. Wouldn't it have been better? Uh, who, who the fuck knows? Wouldn't it have been better to like have him crash into the like drunkenly crash into the guy's like money and then a bunch of bills fall down and then he's like, oh wait, one of these bills is because I think they just had the weird check exchange in the beginning just so they could set up the bartender having the yes. bill. <laughs> so then the editor is like, do you remember where you got this money? And, no, I don't remember where I got this bill. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a, a bartender. People, it's a cash business. People come in here every hour of the day and the night, make all sorts of transactions. How could I possibly remember one single transaction in the midst of the hundreds or even thousands I do on a regular basis? And then the editor says, try really hard. And he says, oh, oh, now I remember. It's like <laughs> Joe Smith who lives at this address, blah, 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 blah. He's getting married soon. So what did you think of that? Well, okay, to be devil's advocate here. <laughs> Uh, getting a $100 bill in the 30s might have been kind of more of something that you would remember. That's a lot of money. Mm. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I'm right. <laughs> then why didn't he remember it right away? Why, when the whole city is looking for this ransom money, this is a famous case, this young girl was abducted, murdered from a fancy boarding school, and they published the the serial numbers of the bills so everyone could keep an eye out. Someone's flashing a hundred dollar bill at your CD dive bar. Like, what 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 are you doing, man? And then the bartender continues to be weird. And uh, when the editor makes him promise to not call the police and not tell anybody about this, the editor. Uh, well, I guess in this case, it's the editor being weird. The editor tells him, you know, if my mother's on the floor of this bar weeping, you know, you won't tell her. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, she is that, she does that every night. So <laughs> I, I just, I, I so think, odd. I think we should reveal that the editor at this point has a plan. The plan is that this kidnapping is ongoing. It's a big crime in the city. Everybody wants it to be solved. And the editor says, well, you know, I could give this information, which is the first break in this case, to the properly licensed investigators who have been trained to handle such matters. Or I could keep it to myself and try to jerry-rig some way to keep my newspaper going. And so he he chooses to keep it to himself, thinking this, this will save the paper. 
And I, I know you and he disagree on some ethical things, as we established earlier. <laughs> what do you think about that? You know, it's a it's a tough time in the media, so you got to respect a king who's trying to save journalism jobs, <laughs> keep it staffed together, keep it uh, out of the hands of the hedge fund people who are trying to buy the newspaper. But on the other hand, as someone who likes true crime, no, you you can't do that. You can't do it. You can't, you do, can't it. do it because you'll fuck up the case so badly that the defense will have a field day with it and the people who murdered this girl will uh, not receive justice. So from a <laughs> from a stupid standpoint, I'm like, I get it. And from a realistic standpoint, I'm like, no. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he's I like a motivated. I'm going to say this. I like a motivated journalist. I like a motivated journalist in a in a mystery, like trying to run something down. This is a little bit too much, though. If it had been a situation where they, like, established that the police were corrupt in the city or the police had this information and were just just dismissed it, you could maybe make me buy it as motivation a little bit more. But, you know, they don't have time to set it up because it's, like, an hour movie. But if, if it was something like that, then maybe I could say, all right, well, the police had their shop, blew it, go for it, man. But in this case, like, this is the hot tip. This is, like, this crime has just happened. The money's now resurfacing. What are we doing? So you mentioned the police. The police have, there's one witness to the kidnapping, a young woman. And the police have her in protective custody because they believe if she is not protected, she'll immediately be kidnapped because she is the only witness. So... Our editor, Buddy, he basically goes and he sneaks her away from police custody. Well, let's go into how. Her name's Ellen Frazier. She's a school teacher at this fancy school. She, I guess she witnessed one of her pupils getting kidnapped, was later murdered. Yikes. And she's sick of being hounded by the press, but she's also sick of being kept under lock and key by the police. The police start threatening to take her to literal lock and key to jail to keep her extra, extra safe. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but okay. You think they could just set up a safe house or something in like a hotel or whatever, but um, the way that the editor gets into the school is he actually starts impersonating a lawyer who's been commissioned to speak to the school's board of trustees about like what to do. Should they dismiss the teacher? Should they keep her? What's what should go on? So what do you, uh, an an officer of the court, make of a, a mere journalist impersonating an attorney at law? I, th- I think this scene is meant to show how low this editor has sunk at this point. <laughs> it's a shocking. What did you make of it? I thought it was silly. Yeah. I think you can. Why not just sneak into the building? That would be exciting and kind of underhanded, but it's like not quite as bad. And, uh, and the whole point of it is because he wants to take the, this witness with him to the home of this person who gave the bartender a bill so she can say, oh, that's the ki- that's the killer, that's not the killer. So she he, he tricks her into getting into a car with him, and as soon as she's in the car, and the car is moving, and he reveals, I'm not a lawyer, I'm actually a journalist. She wants to get out of the car, even though it's moving. And I think that's very reasonable. Yeah, I think that's very reasonable, because also he could just be a kidnapper, right? Yeah. You know, kidnappers could have used that strategy, too, of being like, yeah, I'm the lawyer, and being like, let's go. So I think she she has a pretty reasonable reaction. 
Meanwhile, to add a touch of surrealism to the whole scene, the cabbie's this old guy who's like, sorry, some kids banged up the radio. And the blue Danube waltz keeps blasting so you can barely hear anything they're saying. <laughs> so that's odd. What, what sort of damage do the kids do to his radio? Oh, well, some kids broke the knobs and shook my vibrator loose. <laughs> that's what the man said. That's literally what he said. Yes, you made me pause the movie. <laughs> So you could write it down word for word. Knocked my vibrator loose. All right, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> this weird old guy with crazy eyebrows. I'm like, what am I seeing here? What am I listening to? That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And then it cuts to uh, Wedding Crashers, the Great Depression years, uh, where they, uh, well, actually Ellen, the teacher, bounces. The editor gets into this house where this couple is preparing for their wedding. Before the witness leaves, she sees a picture of the bridegroom and ascertains, that's not the man I saw. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not the not the kidnapper. And... Uh, but the editor's already lost the witness. She's wandering around. He doesn't know where she is. So he's put her in danger. And now he's going to harass these private citizens who he know, already knows has nothing to do with it. He wants to figure out where they got the money from. So uh, cre he creates basically marital discord where a fussy mother-in-law, squeaky-voiced bride, and sort of nerdy groom are all yelling at each other. But he basically gets that he... Um, he needs to go to the to the a fancy doctor's house after we have experienced the weirdest episode of Bridezilla ever. <laughs> and, and the scene here ends with the groom to be abruptly insulting his bride to be and his putative mother in law and saying, I'm not gonna marry you, I'm out of here. So basically the editor has broken up this marriage. In fairness, the bride did call him a nincompoop. If I left you every time you called me a nincompoop, where would we be? <laughs> you call me that every day. That was a good parry. <laughs> <laughs> when you wake up, I'm standing over you, my eyes full of love, saying, Wake, welcome. <laughs> welcome to this new day, you beautiful nincompoop. That's what I'm saying. It's our pet name. Uh, and meanwhile, also, uh, the newsman finds out that, well, that, the headlines on the papers are newsman sought on undisclosed charge. Kind of a boring headline. No, I wasn't impressed with that one. Okay. What? How would you have headlined it, Miss Reporter? It's college newspaper editor. Well, you could assume he's he's kind of widely respected. So I would kind of like 
mention that in the headline. Like, award-winning editor flees from police. Wouldn't you want to get something in the headline about what he's accused of? Award-winning editor goes on the lam. Why is award-winning editor protecting kidnapper? Oh, uh, no, because you that's a you they don't know it's linked to the kidnapping case. Don't they? It's an undisclosed charge. It could be about like a parking ticket. Well, then why would that be a story at all? Why not award-winning editor vanishes? Uh, police seek answers. Because that doesn't necessarily mean that he's he's being bad. Right. Yeah, because you can't assume he might just have had like a mental breakdown or something and maybe got into a bar fight and you could assume, well, he's really upset about the paper closing. Like, you don't know. Depressed editor last seen leaving bar. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time that headline got written about me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah, it seems seems kind of granular, granular news coverage. But there. in fairness, it worked because it got some attention. People start spotting him. And so he's on a bus. He has to hop off and flee. And he flees and he gets to this doctor's residence there's some sort of fancy smancy uh like that kind of shit yeah there's like party going on and so then uh so it seems like this doctor is married to a much younger woman kind of like an age gap relationship Oh, that's so gross so then what happens is the reporter takes the doctor and his much younger bride aside and why don't you describe what occurred Kevin, I'll just correct you. He's an editor, not a not a mere reporter. So, I would argue that at this stage in the game, the paper he works for no longer exists. He's editor of nothing. <laughs> he is acting <laughs> as a reporter. <laughs> editor of nothing would be a fun Twitter bio, but um, yeah, I, maybe I'll say he's a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> he's a reporter. He's a journal. Oh. Who's the newsman in this relationship? Well, you're the one that said you'd wreck a person's life, so you. Yeah. Somehow, someone's got to do it. I'll have you note their motto is... Da, 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 that the public interest may be served. Are you telling me... No, to go back to that. Are you telling me that if a number of years ago, the commissioner held a treasury position in a town a few states over and he stole all their money, wrecked all their pensions and had to go to jail on felony charges, that that would not be relevant information when he's handling taxpayers' dollars as the commissioner of this city. That's not relevant. What kind of commissioner is he? We don't know. <laughs> is he like the police commissioner? <laughs> Usually when we think of commissioners, I think of like a police commissioner. We don't know what he's the commissioner of. He's just Commissioner Chalmers. That's all we know. <laughs> he's commissioner of the city. Isn't isn't Chalmers the name of the superintendent in The Simpsons? Yeah. <laughs> he's the commissioner of steamed hams. <laughs> Even your Bill Oakley references. <laughs> we don't know, but I'm just saying, you know. Or, or what if he was a the, a police officer a few towns over and he, you know, killed several people under very suspicious circumstances? Is that not relevant? 
Actually, it's all really hypothetical, but I think in this day and age with Google, I think anybody who holds a political office in a city... Yeah, would get scrutinized. Would get scrutinized. Yeah, that's that's a, that's very fair. But back then, they didn't have that benefit. They only had the newspaper that, I will remind you, holds that the public interest may be served. So if, if it's a relevant crime to his, his occupation, I think it's totally fair game. Because for all you know, he's doing I, it again. I, got, I, I think it's idiotic. The, as you pointed out, they let it get to the point where it was ready to run. Yes, I agree. It was, it was set on the page. So this means the reporters know about it. The guys in the printing office, was printing office, the, the printers know about it. A lot of people have seen this. So at this point, it's going to get out regardless. And they say, and they, and then, the, and then the editor basically says, "All right, like I'll, I'll print it in a year. I'll give you a year to do all the good work you've been doing as commissioner." What? I mean, is that not kind of just blackmail? I mean, it, it would be more honest to just publish it. Or again, if the guy had come in and made an impassioned case, like I was broke, I am a different person now. I had five kids to feed. I mean, listen, maybe that's just like excuses or whatever. But like, if there had been something more to just like stop, why should I stop? Because you should. I mean, like that was basically the conversation. I think it would have been more realistic if the guy had come in and said. You know, your reporter contacted me about this. I understand that it has to come out. I'm going to ask you to hold it for a day. And I can give you a very thorough interview and answer all your questions. That way he can kind of spin it. He can get his own perspective on the story. Yeah, that would have been fair. That would have been fair because it would have been like I'm actually interested in both sides and not just saying all the bad stuff we found out about you, but giving you an ex- a chance to explain how you've changed over time. That would have been fine. And that would have illustrated the same exact thing, but the problem is you'd have to like know how the news business works in order for that to work that out, you know. Or it could have been—I could have lived with something like in we, a previous episode we talked about the film Five Star Final, another journalism movie with um, Edward Robinson. Did I get that name yeah, right? Yeah, Edward G. Robinson. Edward, I'm sorry, Edward G. Robinson, and the, it's all about this newspaper spinning uh, an old murder story into this big thing where a woman killed a guy who was. Uh, harassing her and it was pretty much like a self-defense type murder but then the press spins it out as she's like this murderess even though she's moved on and is just living as a private citizen now it was really kind of the victim in the situation so like if it had been a case like that where it's like a, a, a woman or a man who was like the victim of a crime and came in and was like you're gonna smear my good name but you don't know um the guy was attacking me or the guy was like going to hurt me and here's a letter from the police person at the time. Like, you know, like, here's some proof to back myself up. And then they killed the story because they realized, oh, this is not what it looks like. This is actually a self-defense case or something like that. That would have been an acceptable way to show that he's a good editor. But it's like worst of both worlds. Oh, my God. We're like going into the nitty gritty on this fake ass story that got like two minutes at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> and I think it really is supposed to make us think that he is a good ethical man. But I think regardless of where you fall on the ethics of the decision he makes, I think it makes him look like a very bad editor. <laughs> He's a terrible editor. Because he allowed the story to get to the point where it was researched, it was written, it was analyzed. It, he thought it was newsworthy. He puts it in the paper. Somebody says, hey, you know, do me a favor, don't run that story. Yeah, okay. 
there's another movie going on where the journalist who wrote that story is quitting because he feels like the editor at the paper is in the pocket of this commissioner. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, he's the villain in a different story. And speaking of bad editorial decisions, may I also just note that I was, I, I literally winced when he spiked it because I was like, oh my God, that poor journalist like busted his ass doing this and now gets nothing, no byline for it. Um, what I was, what I was going to say, the, <laughs> when he's going around, you mentioned he's not really uh, an editor in this. He's really just a, a reporter. He's going around gathering, uh, you know, news for a story that he's going to write himself the role of a reporter. It was like, that's a bit like, he's the editor in chief of this fucking like, city newspaper like a real paper with a lot of sections and a lot of people like that's doesn't that sort of feel like how kirk always has to go on like missions in star trek where he has to go down on the planet himself it's like mm -hmm. very very micromanaging very i gotta do it myself he's not gonna assign his like top reporters to the story that but, would make but, sense but in fairness at this point there are no top reporters there's no staff everyone's been fired that's fair it works. It, I'm, not, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of teasing it, but yeah, it's it. And, and to jump ahead, that makes you wonder: even if he gets this story, how is he going to pay for the materials to literally print the physical copies of the newspaper if he has no staff and no materials? And then also, how is he going to arrange? for this paper if he does by some miracle get it printed how is he going to arrange for the distribution of said paper to newsstands and subscribers well here's you need a staff. here's my thinking on that you know you they have partners they have longtime partners longtime printers longtime distributors right maybe maybe there's a favor here maybe there's some calls of like listen i, I this is my bid to save the paper you know the contract that's been paying for your son's college. Well, that's going away because we can't, we, we won't exist anymore because, you know, the record put us out of business. But if you maybe bite this one free bath, this one free distribution, this one free printing, you know, that money might still come in. You know, you know these people. You know, the, this this guy who's a distributor, he's no, used to distributing the record and the Guardian. Soon it's just going to be one paper. You know. Soon it's going to be one paper for the printing press. So they have an interest in this too. So then let me ask you this. Let's say by some miracle he's able to get the paper printed and distributed. Who gets the money? Who, what do you mean who gets the money? The Guardian doesn't exist. His newspaper, The Guardian, doesn't exist anymore. Who gets the money for what? what for money? the copies of the paper that are sold. Well, well, as it's we, not it's not an official copy of the paper. Well, something so happens at it? the end. Something. Well, no, we're, we're all talking hypothetically at this point. What was he thinking would happen? He was thinking that uh, the publisher would be forced to keep it alive. So it would just go into the coffers of the, of the Guardian. Yeah. And, and, and where it would normally go. And then that would, the, the publisher would then distribute it to the contractors, to the staff and, you know, to shareholders so it sounds like you think he has a pretty good uh plan i it's a little bit silly it's but i actually i like the bones of this story a lot i like the bones of it desperate editor trying to save his paper acting a little bit desperately acting a little bit crazy but he's motivated by you know saving this great newspaper i i dig that you know how it goes down is is, is another matter but uh as i said i like the bones well, I think we need to get back to his conversation 
with the older doctor and his younger bride. Oh, isn't that creepy when you see an older man and a younger woman? (laughs) (laughs) Kevin and I are in an age gap relationship. That's the joke, folks. (laughs) Yeah, Anya's just a little bit older than me. (laughs) I'm an ancient wizened crone. (laughs) Yeah, I I, actually, of course, I'm I'm a little bit uh, older than Anya by uh, a considerable amount. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think we I think we're a little bit a little bit less weird than this couple though that we're about to see this uh, elderly doctor and his uh, his younger wife. So it turns out that the uh, the younger wife sp- spent the one hundred dollar bill at like a c- cigarette box store. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I guess that was the thing back then. Yeah, so she paid $100 for a, a cigarette box. And the doctor says, oh, yes, yeah, so that, that was a gift for me. Everything's on the up and up there. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing to worry about here. You know, a young woman with an older man, of course she'd be faithful to him. There's no reason to suspect otherwise. I can satisfy a younger woman. I got nothing to worry about. <laughs> I'm very comfortable with my masculinity and my powers. Kevin, why are I'm you young sweating? and vibrant. <laughs> I don't worry about my wife. <laughs> Anya quickly and uh, quietly deletes her Tinder app. <laughs> so, so the guy says, "Okay, so it, it's this jewelry box store." So the reporter leaves. Does he? Does he? Not a jewelry box, a cigarette box, baby. <laughs> cigarette box. Is this the alley cat thing? This is the alley cat thing. So the, the cigarette box came from the alley cat place. So <laughs> he he leaves to head for this alley cat place. Run by he, bo- you mean the editor. By he, I mean the reporter. He's going to this alley cat place that's run by a man named Jim Alley. But meanwhile, Thomas we, O'Malley cat. <laughs> we, the viewer, get to hang out with this charming couple of the doctor and his bride for a couple of moments. Describe what we see. We see the doctor saying, you bought him that cigarette box. And the wife being like, why don't you just divorce me already? I hate you. And then the doctor being like, maybe I will let you go or something. And then moving threateningly towards the woman. And then she recoils in fear. And that's it. Then we cut back to the uh, reporter. Never see that couple again. Never see that couple again. (laughs) So, like, did he kill her? Also, this editor is going through and destroying lives. He broke up one marriage. He may have, this may have resulted in another murder, some sort of domestic dispute gone wrong. Because the cheating has been revealed. But, I mean, why would somebody think a cigarette box is that suspicious? Kevin, I mean, if you saw that I bought, like, (laughs) ten cigarette boxes last month, you wouldn't think anything of it, right? You would just think... Anya, it's time (laughs) for you to go. (gasps) What what was that? You ran out of... You're so non-threatening, you couldn't even come up with a good threatening joke. I'm just a big teddy bear. Aw. Well, I'll tell you, if I catch you around any cigarette box stores, it's the boot. And I know you would never buy a cigarette box for any other man. Yes, surely if there are any cigarette boxes on my last uh, bank statement, that must be a mistake and maybe my card has been stolen. You only open up your cigarette box for Kevin. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? Way to sound really disgusting. Good Lord. Get a grip, sir. 
So then the reporter goes outside and the witness lady who earlier had fled uh, is there with uh, a police officer and the annoying cab driver. <laughs> and it turns the guy out. guy with the vibrator. <laughs> it turns out that she had started to leave with the cab driver and then realized that perhaps she was in danger. So thought it would be a good idea to go back and reunite with the journalist. But she went back to the house he was at before, which was where he broke up the wedding. And they said, no, he's over at this doctor's office. So she had gone to the doctor's office to reunite with him. And she didn't have the money to pay the cab fare. So he had called over a policeman. So, And she explains this to him, I think, what, seven times? <laughs> yeah, like eight times. As many times as I bought cigarette boxes last month, <laughs> the very least. And actually, in the course of our relationship, haven't you bought a cigarette box? Many times. Didn't we, uh, in a garage, didn't you buy one that said Kane? Oh, I did buy a cigarette box that said Kane, and it was spelled correctly. That Yeah. But that was just for me. <laughs> put all your stogies. Yeah, put all my, I'm always puffing on stuff. On my smokes. Anya, when we watch these movies, Anya sits there, this big, fat, sweat, smelly cigar, wearing a fedora. It's quite a sight. And you never see the cigar or fedora afterwards. It just, like, appears. It materializes as we're watching these films. I have to go like the other side of the room because it's quite an odor. <laughs> and I start pacing around with my hands behind my back just... Looking at the ground, muttering. <laughs> but what's going to go above the fold? <laughs> I turn into a different person watching these newspaper mysteries, for sure. Brings out a dark side. J. 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 Uh, J. Jonah Ani. J. Jonah Anyson. <laughs> J. Jonah Anyson. Yeah. I mean, basically. I seem like a mild-mannered reporter, but I'm, I'm basically... Yeah, that's a, that's that's an upsetting thing to realize about yourself. But there you go. So, what what fictional reporter do you think you're most like? Like Torchy, Torchy Blaine? I'm um, not that competent. Um, <laughs> somebody bumbling? Who bumbles? Uh, Jimmy Olsen, the Superman TV oh, show from the fifties. Fuck 50s. you! That's the second time you've compared me to Jimmy Olsen. What was the first? When we went to, when like the first day we met. Like the second day we, the second day we met. What did I say? You said I was a cover border. I figured the Jimmy Olsen reference was your way of negging me. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, I love Jimmy Olsen. I have a lot of respect for Jimmy. Aw. Oh, well, thanks. That's sweet then. So you're just giving me a big compliment. I have a complete set of Jimmy Olsen comic books, for God's sake. That's true. From anyone else, it would be a vicious insult. From you, it's actually a very warm compliment. Jimmy Olsen's a hell of a reporter. Yeah. And in fairness, yeah, like, he do he doesn't know that... He, well, he's not a very good reporter if he doesn't realize that Clark Kent is Superman, frankly. Well, I mean, don't you think it's possible to uh, live closely with someone and not see their deepest, darkest secrets? I'm just speaking hypothetically, of course. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, if I had a secret that you didn't know about, that wouldn't necessarily mean you're a bad reporter. Kevin places a bloody, rusty knife <laughs> behind his back.
Oh, Kevin, I know all about your serial killing spree. <laughs> Don't fool yourself. Oh my god, this fucking movie. This so movie. she so she explains the this very tedious, very obvious sequence of events several times. Uh, and finally, he says, okay, I got it. What you should do is don't take any cabs because that's not safe. You're in a great deal of danger. But uh, why don't you go back to my newspaper office? It's closed down. Take the subway. It'll be fine. And then she says, okay. And then he turns and walks away. And she turns and walks away. And she's immediately kidnapped. You know what I liked about this? <laughs> you know what I liked about this? What? I liked that it was honest. Like in these old movies, so many of these old movies, it like boiled down the essence of like the female character in so many of these oil- old movies where it's like she shows up to say, I need you to protect me and then gets kidnapped. And that's it. Like that's all they're there for. <laughs> like it just it cut out all the extra stuff. She doesn't do anything in this movie. She just shows up, says, please don't let the bad men hurt me. To the main guy, he says, okay, toots, now get on the subway. Take the A-line. And then she gets immediately kidnapped. And it's like, wow, okay. That's her purpose. Just like utter damsel in distress immediately. No, no attempt at character building or or anything. And we should say the reason why he doesn't want to take her to that alley cat place. So the alley cat place is a business run by Jim Alley, who... Uh, Jim Alley happens to, to be basically be like a boxer. He's also a person of color. And so he says to this witness, is the kidnapper you saw a person of color? And she says no. So that, that way he knows she doesn't need to come with him to see Jim Alley. Because obviously the kidnapper is not Jim Alley. So that's why he says just go somewhere else and I'm, I'll go hang out with Jim myself. Old Alley cat. So then when he goes to talk with Jim, he walks in on a very awkward thing. He walks in. Jim is dead. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And not only is he dead, but his dead body in a coffin is sitting in the middle of, I guess, his apartment. I didn't see this coming at all. <laughs> and his friends and loved ones are there mourning him. And his mother is there wailing, just copiously grieving and crying. And then his his wife, Jim's wife, Ruby, gets into a fight. Ruby with, Alley. Ruby Alley, cat, gets into a fight with the mother and is like, you can't make sounds like, I'm the only one who supported him. And it's like, oh my God, you like, you're, feel like you're intruding on something way too personal all of a sudden. You said you felt like Melvin Douglas was walking through like five or six different movies. Yeah, Melvin Douglas. This movie is basically, in a nutshell, Melvin Douglas strolling through the MGM set. This is MGM, right? Yeah. Strolling through the MGM set, you know, interrupting this boxing movie, interrupting uh, a murder mystery about a doctor who kills his wife. <laughs> I mean, like we're just we're just bouncing from thing. A newspaper, a jolly newspaper movie in the beginning. We are just interrupting all these other films. And he's the only connective tissue here. It's so odd. It's ve- and they all have a very different feel to them too. It's like markedly. It gets. It's like markedly. Every like, every new quote unquote room you enter feels like a different movie. Yes, and usually a movie wants you to get really interested and invested in the characters, but these characters that he meets, you know, pretty early on, we're only going to deal with these people for a few minutes. 
let's not care about them too much. It's like the people, I know uh, the subway has a negative connotation in this because Ellen was kidnapped before she could even get on it. But it's like the people you're on a subway with. You know, you might kind of take note of them and see what they're doing and like if you know if anyone's acting weird or if anyone is, you know, moving around. You're 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 watching them and you know what they look like and they're distinctive in their own way. But the second you get off the subway, you're probably going to forget most of them unless someone's super memorable and in this case it's no one is. So we we never find out did that first man did, did he reconcile with his wife to be does the doctor kill his wife? Uh Jim, we find out he was killed. He he was at one point stabbed in the leg. That's why he went to the fancy doctor. And then also then subsequently he was run down by a car and killed. Who did this? W- was the leg stabbing and the car accident related? We never know. We never learn. And we, we f- never learn. And this is poor woman grieving, his wife grieving his loss and like she's lost the love of her life and it turns out she was the one really supporting him by earning money working as the personal maid of a rich lady and she's like heartbroken she's crying and he's just bugging her for information you're like just leave her alone uh and so one time when she was there like a week earlier uh a friend of the rich ladies turned out gave her a hundred dollar bill the $100 bill. Yeah, the $100 MacGuffin that we are chasing in this film. Who was that person who gave her the $100 bill? Well, I'm going to talk about... Okay. <laughs> Let's do it in order. Let's take him through all the rooms that Melvin Douglas walks in. Uh, It's a fancy op... She, the, her employer is a fancy opera singer named Lorna, who is this blonde lady who's singing this classical opera song. Oh, I, I, I completely forgot about this sequence. Yeah, and it's bizarre all of a sudden. And I also noticed there was, I, I didn't, I'm not classy enough to recognize whatever opera song this was, but they, they had a, they, they had a, the, the fancy piano concert, Blue Danube. They had a lot of classical music needle drops in this film for some reason, I guess, public domain and all. But um, yeah, that was a little odd. And in this, it, it, he basically shows up, meets the opera lady and gets a name of the of the gentleman caller who who gave the maid a hundred dollars who was that he actually well let me let me let me build it up he surrenders himself to the publisher next and basically says you know you can call the police and then the publisher starts to call the police on him because the publisher you know basically the publisher kind of sums it up by saying you know, you obstructed justice, you lost a good job, and you lost a big bonus from me. And, like, that's kind of what happened, basically. <laughs> he did obstruct justice, and he did, you know, lose a potential job. You know, the record sounds like a sleazy paper, but maybe he could have made it better instead of, like, you know, doing this. But then Melvin Douglas drops what he knows. Drops the bomb. Drops the bomb. The publisher was the guy who passed the $100 bill to the maid. Because he was hanging out with this opera singer. So now the editor is kind of has some dirt on the publisher and is basically like, go ahead and call the police. I'll tell them that. And he's all like, oh, never mind. This movie is so exhausting. There's so much fucking plot that goes nowhere. We're closing in an hour talking about it. The movie itself was an hour, nine minutes. They pack it in. So what? Uh, what? What? Where did where did the publisher get the dollar? 
bill or not the hundred dollar bill, not a dollar bill. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That'd make it even more outrageous. If yeah. They can all remember where exactly uh, they got, yes. got a single dollar bill. This George Washington. I remember him well. <laughs> okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It turns out he got the $100 bill from some sort of quasi, I think, illegal, actually, gambling operation run by a man named Arno. Not the cartoonist Pete Arno, but like a gangster named Arno. What did Pete Arno do? Uh, Peter Arno was a great cartoonist for the New Yorker. Oh, he would never be caught up in such a sleazy affair as this. No, he was a gentleman. And, uh, you know, Arno and and the editor are kind of implied to have like kind of a connection where they, they're friendly. They're both kind of. Arno remembers, Arno remembers what kind of drink the uh, reporter likes to drink. Yeah, you, they, they're both kind of... They're buddies. They're buddies. They're like, you know... They they met through, you know, the guys reporting on the underworld, so... So then they have a couple of moments of expositional dialogue because obviously you're saying to yourself, uh, a gambling operation, <laughs> they must go through hundreds or thousands of dollars every day. How could they possibly know where one single bill came from? And so uh, Arno says, well, actually, exposition, 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 exposition. So you know we know it can only come from one place. You can't question that now. Also, my brother Phil is the cashier. Because apparently at this major gambling operation, we only have one guy handling all the money. Can you imagine the fucking lines? You'd be getting in line thinking you're getting in line for the fucking buffet. And then suddenly you're like talking to Phil and it's Jesus Christ. What an inefficient gambling operation. That's all I'm saying. They should have come to you. Zero. You, you, know, you know how to run those places. Zero stars on TripAdvisor. <laughs> That's, we're those kind of people. We're the kind of people who get curious. We get in line for something. Then suddenly you're at this that this cashier thing, and I, I thought we were going to get some nice scrambled eggs, and the whole trip is ruined. We're the type of people who would get in line for something, wait five minutes, and say, eh. Yeah, that's off. true. We'd like go up and look at like what what the, where the end of the line is. I'd I'd stay in line. I'd send you to scout. You'd witness something bad. <laughs> then we'd have to get the fuck out of there. That's more like us. Now there's also uh, weird stuff about birds. <laughs> Arno keeps birds. It, you know when there's an ominous figure in the movie, they gotta have some kind of pet. So, in this case, it's like little finches. He's making the finches kiss him. Melvin Douglas is standing there awkwardly. Everyone's wondering, what the fuck is going on here? What's up with Arno? 
But um, so Erno says, obviously the money had to have come from this place where bad stuff happens. These so, bad guys did it. They came in and threw a lot of dollars around, so it must have been them. So why don't you go and uh, see, go up there yourself, uh, reporter man, see what you can make of it. But be careful. It might be dangerous. I'll send my guys up with you. And one of his guys is a guy who looks like Ray Fine, kind of like a weird version of Ray Fine, who's like like kind of this mustache guy who comes in and is like, okay, boss. But the reporter says, no, I'll do it all myself. And so then he leaves, at which point Arno goes to his brother and says, guess what? I just sent my dear friend, a good man, off to his death <laughs> in order to protect you. So now you leave and you never come back. And so, <laughs> so, you, it, so, so what was going, what sort of turmoil does this cause for Arno to send his friend to his death? And what sort of consequences, if any, does he suffer from it? We never know. My question for you, Kevin, is if Phil is such a dear brother to Arno and he wants to protect him so badly, but like doing this is going to estrange Phil from him permanently, like never wants to see him again. What was the, like, do you know what I mean? Like if you're not going to have a family relationship with your brother after doing this for him, what was the point of doing it? You're basically getting the worst of all worlds. You're killing your friend and you'll never talk to your brother again. And then also, as, as we say, he fires Phil immediately in the middle of a busy night. So those longs, those lines you were talking about, those long lines of customers, they're gonna be much longer. Now there's no cashier on duty. He's actually trained the birds to take over for Phil. It was a, it was a planned thing for a long time. So <laughs> there, it's like Cinderella. They're flying around with dollar bills. There's bird shit everywhere. It's just it's 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 not a great improvement, but they manage. Annie's enjoying that one, folks. This movie. <laughs> I'm picturing it. This movie was exhausting. It's like you feel like you're walking with Melvin Douglas through multiple movies, so you kind of feel tired. Your legs are getting sore. You're like, when are, when are we going to be done? When are we going to get to the real movie? You never do. And none of it quite makes sense. So what happens next? How does how does Melvin Douglas's big? What was he also? Can I have? What what the fuck was he planning to do? Arno says. Uh, these two bad boys up in the north side or whatever, you know, it was them. So he shows up with a gun. Is he going to, like, coerce a confession to them? I mean, the gun is presumably unloaded because Arno gave it to him. But was he planning to, like, hold them at gunpoint and make them confess to it? Was he going to, like, spy on them? Like, what, what the fuck was the plan? Well, you're the hard-boiled journalist. How would you have handled it? I, I wouldn't have done any of this. <laughs> if I found myself zapped into that situation, I... Yes, I would call the police, but let's be fun for a minute and say I'm just going to go up. I guess I would go up and like maybe pretend to be a a new messenger from another member of their, you know, illicit concern and be like, boss says you need to get out of here. The cops are closing in because of the Roberts case. Ooh, if you did that, it was like first stop at a store and get like some sort of messenger outfit. What's a messenger outfit? <laughs> like some sort of old old timey uh, telegram boy outfit. Yeah, I bet they have those <laughs> in every size. Say, Mister, got a telegram for you. See? <laughs> see, this is why you would get killed immediately. I would just come in, be like a normal guy, normal, normally like, just wear my normal clothes, and say, "Hey, boss sent me." 
I'm from the east side racket. Who the fuck knows? I, there Maybe there is no east side to this city. I'm just making shit up. I'm from the Chicago concern. Wh- whatever. I'm, I'm just, I'm freewheeling. I have a gun in my pocket. I feel fine. You know? <laughs> the, the, the cops are getting too close on this Roberts business. You guys need to blow town. There's going to be a truck waiting for you. You know, at the at the docks. You know, I, I gotta say, it kind of sounds like you've done something like that before. Yeah, it's very natural to you. <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta. I guess you had a life before I met you. Yeah, I do. I do my own thing sometimes. Going to shadowy buildings. <laughs> we say we're doing this in our office. The closet is full of cigarette boxes. <laughs> Every time we open an extra door, cigarette boxes just like come falling out everywhere. We're, we're tripping on them in the, in the morning. We're, they're piled out at the woodshed at night. It's just, I'm, part, I'm part of an illegal cigarette box racket. Out of Chicago. Out, out of Chi Town. Out of Chicago. There's a Detroit uh, branch as well. And I helm up the uh, Indianapolis uh, aspect of the outfit. <laughs> But anyways, um, so he goes to confront these people and is immediately captured. <laughs> the Kevin Greenlee story. So then he finds himself in the back of a truck bound hand and foot along with uh, the female witness and Phil, the brother. I'll note as a retail reporter, I noted with interest that this is a produce truck that they for some reason zoom in on the words like fresh produce. When Daily Harvest goes wrong. <laughs> Fresh Direct goes evil. I mean, like, what was the... I don't know. And there's, like, chickens? There's chickens in the... Did you hear the chickens? I did not hear the there's, chickens. There's... I swear to... Either I'm having some sort of psychotic break. Always a possibility. Always a possibility. But I'm pretty sure I heard chickens squawking in the back with them. So, are, so that raises questions. Where is this delivery going... Did they steal the truck? I assume no. Is the is the grocery store or like the farm connected with the bad guys? And like what's so important that you need to like deliver the chickens at the same time that you're kidnapping these people? Don't you? <laughs> I'm guessing they weren't actually on their regular route. I'm guessing they weren't actually doing a chicken delivery. I'm guessing if they had chickens, it was probably just to help cover for what they no, were actually but, doing. No, Kevin, you can't just... It's a fresh produce truck. There's produce and there's chickens. There's live chickens in the truck. You can, what? Like, you can't just put chickens in the truck for a few days and forget about them. They can't be in the truck for that long. They weren't going to be driving around the reporter and the witness and Phil for days. They're going to drive them... One place, maybe an hour or so away, kill them, and then drive back. And then where are the chickens going to go? It's in the middle of the night. Don't you think if you have a fresh produce truck and a cop happens to, to stop you, it's nice if you have chickens in the car? No. I mean, maybe. But, like, it's not like the chickens are blocking the two victims from sight. They might be. They're not. We can see inside the truck. Okay, let me ask you this. You claim, and I accept you at your word, 
you heard chickens. Yes. Did you see chickens? No. Is it possible they had a recording of chickens in order to make people think it was an actually delivery <laughs> truck? I'm blown out of his mind. <laughs> it was all part of a ruse. <laughs> Holy shit. There were no chickens. It was just a chicken recording. So... So the mob boss goes to one of his lackeys and says, you know, Joey, what I need you to do is go to go to Farmer McGregor's farm. I want you to sneak around back. Oh, and pop him, sir. No, 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 no. I want you to take this tape recorder and record the chickens. Who knows when we'll need this? It's an incredible ruse. That's what they did? Well, I mean, like, I could imagine... You've got a truck, you got stuff in the back, you don't want the coppers to see. And you know the uh, The high prices of your produce delivery business. And the cops say, Oh, can I they stop you for speed? You know, can I look in the back of the truck? And you say, Oh, got a bunch of loose chickens back there. You, you can hear them. If you let them loose, oh, there'd be hell to pay with my boss. Sir, I want to tell you this chicken shit everywhere. I don't want to expose you to anything. It's a so, fucking disaster. This is a terrible company. So if a truck driver told you that and you actually heard the sound of chickens coming from the back of the truck, maybe you don't open it. Okay, but maybe I pause for 30 minutes and I say, hey, that squawk sounds kind of familiar. Oh, that's that same squawk again. Oh, is this so on you loop? pause for 30 minutes? 30 seconds, I meant. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really fucking long traffic stop. I, I have a... I have a a 30-minute long dramatic pause. I have, a, I have a glass cup and I'm pressing it against the thing. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, that was the same one. Wait, let me wait to know the 30 minutes and see if it loops back around again. I'm trying to get probable cause, Kevin. This is how policing works. 30 minutes. Maybe there's like maybe like there's a 30-second loop. And, like, there's a really crazy chicken in there, and it's like, like, in the same exact way every time. And you're like, are the chickens being hurt? Can you open the back, sir? I don't know what's going on there. It doesn't sound very good. Sounds kind of sounds kind of horrifying. Maybe it's a little bit of an animal lover cop or something. See, in this, in this era, people had live chickens in their homes. They would kill pretty regularly because it was before the era of uh, refrigeration. So I don't think a cop would be too concerned if they're, uh, oh, a chicken that's going to be killed tomorrow might be having a bit of a hard time tonight. Yeah. Do you have a license for these chickens? <laughs> See, I don't, do you need a, a license to have chickens in 1940? I don't know. I'm just saying if it's, it, you, maybe it sounds like a loop and maybe the cop gets suspicious. Are you sure you don't just have a tape recorder back there? Taped to the side of the truck going on and on. What, what if the tape recorder starts to break down? Like it's too cold in the produce truck. So it's like, and then people are like, what's going on back there? Don't, don't you think they would know that and they would pick a recorder that's good for all temperatures? This is the 1930s. If you look at the technology wrong, it's going to break and burst into flames. They made that nuke of the north. I'm just telling you, like, the 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 tape recorder has to have, like, endless batteries in order for this to work. And they have to be playing it the whole fucking time. Because who knows when it's going to get, you know, when you're going to get pulled over. So your version is there's live chickens in the truck. And they're saying, we got to make the chicken delivery. We got these hostages. But we got to do these chickens first. You feel that's more plausible. Is that what you're arguing? 
Is that your contention? A desperate retail manager at, a, at the local grocery store looks the other way on a kidnapping plot just to <laughs> get the cheap chickens. Yeah, they're always coming by with people tied up in the truck, but the deals are so good! And we're passing those savings along to our customers, so we're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> Telling this to the horrified retail team. <laughs> and that retail manager's name? Sam Walton. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. You've ended your career. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, anyways. What happens next? Does does the editor get free of his own ingenuity or strength? Or does the, does, the, does the leading lady finally get to do something and get them out of this fix? No, Phil uh, unties the reporter and he unties the lady. Why? Uh, he says he doesn't want him to die. <laughs> it was just all a misunderstanding. <laughs> so like, you know, that's why they put erasers on pencils. <laughs> If you if you were the editor, would you would you? Also, the editor like makes a deal with him, like I have a newspaper, I'll get you out of this. Also, at this point, he's become the story. He's he's been kidnapped by the same kidnappers who kidnapped and murdered the girl. So that ethically, he can't even write the story himself. He could write like a first person story. An experiential. An experiential, he could say. He could blog it. <laughs> Do lots of pictures. Do some with like selfies. Yeah, do selfies of like, I was in the back of this produce truck. It smelled like chicken shit. Really terrible experience. I'm a millennial kidnapped for the first time. <laughs> Top 10 things kidnappers don't want you to know. <laughs> My kidnappers ate at Waffle House. As I was... <laughs> then he gets canceled. Everyone's yelling at him about on Twitter about it. You know, it's... I. He could write about it experientially. He could be like a war correspondent almost. That would be fine. But it, it wouldn't be appropriate for him to write like a, a straight news story for like, say, a hypothetical extra edition. <laughs> I I guess not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would think you would, you would want to avoid that. I do think it would be okay to cover it as an experiential saying like, I got kidnapped and I solved the mystery. So what do you think about my paper, folks? Huh? <laughs> I bet you wish uh, this paper would uh, survive. Uh, don't you? Huh? Did the record uh, get this scoop? Nah. No, this is a Guardian exclusive. Oh, man. Even though it's owned by the same... So yeah. then they all jump off the truck. Somehow, Phil gets injured. And, uh, of course, because it's convenient, he dies. And then the, uh, the reporter and the witness get away. And... Uh, and the editor beats the up the editor beats up uh, the bad guy, one of the bad guys who's chasing them, and then gets him to lure his his other bad guy companion over. They tie them up and bring them to the newsroom instead of like calling the police on the spot. By the time they get to the newsroom, Phil has died. Presumably, if they got him to the hospital earlier, maybe he would have survived. But oh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> Presumably somewhere, some retail manager is waiting on chickens that never arrive. 
Also, what happens to the chickens, right? What the, they're probably just leaving the truck parked somewhere while they write this. I mean, like it's the, the sun's coming up. What happened to the chickens? Yes. What happened to Erno, who sent his friend to his death? What happens to the opera singer? What happened? Who killed Mr. Alley? What happens between Mr. Alley's wife and mother? Are they able to reconcile? Does the doctor kill his wife? Does the, the groom reconcile and live happily ever after with his bride? We'd never know. L, excellent questions. You basically just summed up all the lingering uh, kind of threads that this movie has no interest in tying up. Only thing it cares about is the newspaper. And so then we have these like masturbatory montages of them writing up a story and setting it up in type and smiling and grinning as it comes off the presses. And then we see it being bundled up and thrown out of cars randomly. That made my heart sore. So fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> Prince never going to die, baby. <laughs> Journalism. Fuck yeah. So then after this, there's a huge crowd in front of the office of the paper. And uh, the publisher who had killed the paper appears. And he's confronted by that old lady we met way back. Miss Mary. Miss Mary. And she's yelling at him. And then finally he says, I'm never going to close down The Guardian. It's a great paper. And everyone's like, yay. What did you think of the headline they picked for this one? It was just two words. Kidnappers caught. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I didn't think it was that bad. It's simple. Everyone knows what the kidnappers are in Do the we? city. Yeah, in the city. Yeah, it's, the, it's like the uh, Lindbergh kidna- kidnapping. Everyone's following it. So my question is... If you kidnap someone and then kill that person, do you think it would be more dramatic for a newspaper to refer to you as a kidnapper or as a killer? See, the thing is, there might be a lot of killings going on, right? But like, it's like the everyone calls it the Lindbergh, the Lindbergh kidnapping. Nobody calls it the Lindbergh murder. Because the thing that people remember is the disappearance and the ransom notes and the ransom drop-offs and all the confusion about that. So, like, it's it's weird how, like, some things get, like, thought of as a kidnapping as opposed to a murder. And it seems like, th- in this case, the the girl wasn't gone that long before her murdered body was found, right. presumably. So, that that seems a little bit unusual that they keep calling it a kidnapping. But uh, that would be my guess. So, then the other uh, little bit of a loose thread is there's a conversation between the journalist, who at this point has become an editor again. And uh, and the witness, and the witness is a much younger woman, and keep in mind that through his, she was in a protected situation. <laughs> through his blundering, he exposed her to kidnapping, and she nearly got killed. Uh, but she certainly was traumatized and perhaps beaten. Jesus Christ, your dark <laughs> fan fiction about tell no tales. Uh, and she only escaped through the sacrifice of a third party who died in who, front of her and she fainted when she realized he was dead right uh she's you know you've really impressed me i want to work for you <laughs> to the editor did you find that plausible that little plot turn she sent him a little linkedin request you know i think if she had been a little bit more fleshed out as a character and we saw her go from kind of like a nervous, like stuffy school teacher at a fancy prep school 
to really helping him solve the mystery and getting excited about piecing all the clues together and being angry about what happened to this student of hers and wanting to bring the people who made it happen to account and and capture them. I think I would have been sold on that, but we don't get any of that than that. Yeah, we get very little idea of any sort of a relationship between them whatsoever. I know more and care more about the relationship between the doctor and his wife or Mr. Ali's or the editor and Miss Mary. (laughs) They don't care about this relationship. I think, I think we're supposed to think that she's like attracted to him, but why? You know what? Chicks love it when you get them kidnapped (laughs) and held hostage in a chicken truck. And then, you know, you, somebody else saves you both. (laughs) That's how you got me. Remember? (laughs) You should write a book on this. So are we done? <laughs> Maybe with the podcast forever. This movie. I I love this movie. I'm not going to lie. I All your criticisms of it are completely valid. I think a lot of people would hate this movie. I just found the stroll between different movies to be oddly fascinating where you never know knew what was around the corner. You never knew what... You know, we go from like a kind of a comedy movie about a wedding to a like a soap opera murder mystery to this sort of like very sad movie about an ill-fated romance between a maid and a boxer to this like gambling joint crime film. And that element of the movie was actually played up pretty big in contemporary coverage of it because I was so baffled. Uh during your frequent bathroom breaks, I looked up old newspaper Don't stories. Don't say that! <laughs> I looked up old newspaper coverage about it, and it was like publicizes this movie has five stories in one. The original title for the movie, by the way, was 100 to 1. 100 to 1. Is that a better title? Yes. You know why? Because Tale No Tales, I'm thinking, all right, it's a pirate film. <laughs> Dead men tell no tales. It's going to, at least we're going to be by the seashore and not nary a pirate in sight. You think he could have, uh, the $100 bill could have passed through the hands of a pirate at some point. Yeah, that would have made sense. Suddenly, suddenly Melvin Douglas walks onto a pirate ship. D- no, no explanation. And the guy's like, arg, yes, I, I was trying to uh, get this from the payday loan station, arg. You know, and like, they're like, okay, thank you. And like, sw- like just swings off the boat and suddenly he's back on the street. That would have like, that would have kind of made sense in the context of this film. <laughs> Melvin Douglas walks onto the set of The Wizard of Oz, goes up to the like mean gatekeeper guy who's yelling at Dorothy, and is like, "Where'd you get this hundred dollar bill?" <laughs> I mean, you can do. I mean, like that's just basically the movie. It's just walking through different movies, and I found that somewhat funny. And like because of that, the movie was an hour. It could easily have been two hours, three hours. You could have you could have extended it forever. You could have made it a half hour. There was, like, no rhyme or reason to the number of people he interacted with. And listen, like, I know this makes me a sap. I know it. But I enjoyed all the masturbatory, ridiculous journalism things about, like, we serve the public and rah, rah, look at the printing press go, you know, let her roll. I mean, like, I love that. That's just, that's fun for me. So I like that. I'm sure if there was a movie about lawyers solving a mystery and being all razzle-dazzle, you'd be eating that up. 
be like, ah, yes, my brothers of the court, you know, and like, <laughs> so <laughs> you can give me this. I'd put on my barrister's wig and robe. <laughs> You'd be running around, <laughs> banging a gavel. So this is my version of that hypothetical movie. So what's your final take? And I, I will say, I, okay. did, I did feel like the bones of the film were good. There was like a good... I, I like I like the idea of like an editor going to solve a mystery to save his paper and kind of tracking it down where the you know where the cops won't. I would have tweaked a lot about this story, but the kind of the setup and the motivation is something that speaks to me at least. And I think could speak to a lot of people. And I just I mean maybe the reason I liked it is because, you know, even though it's not a great movie by any means or maybe not even a good movie, it just feels like on some level it crawled out of the recesses of like a fever dream that I had once or something. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me. Uh, but my, my five star, would you have a five star final take? Nope. You're done. You just, you hated it. It, it was an exhausting. <laughs> you got tired of walking with Douglas. I did. I felt that the tale may make no sense at all, but the off-center approach to this storytelling beat the odds of 100 to 1 and became a bit of an intriguing scoop for me. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MysteryToMe. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s. So all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.